Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Kings chapter 7. If you don't know, this story comes in the middle of a desperate moment for Israel. God's people are under siege in the city of Samaria, and the Arameans, this foreign army, has them surrounded. And the gate to the city is barred, and inside, people are literally starving. And God sends a promise that before the week is up, people will be feasting. Hear now the word of God as it comes to us from Second Kings chapter 7. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gates on the outside. They said to each other, why, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. So at dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. And when they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and ate and drank. And then they took silver and gold and clothes and they went off and they hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Part of why we're looking at this scriptural passage today is an understanding of mission work. In this story, there are three groups of people. Did you catch them? First, there's the enemy, the Arameans, and they're gathered outside the city walls and they're killing people. And then there are those in the city. They're the people of God and they locked the doors to keep the enemy out. And then the last group is the lepers, the outcasts. The lepers are people of God as well, but they've been kicked out of the city. They're outside just praying for mercy. It's never intentional, but this is a common understanding of mission work. There's a group of people inside the walls. They have money, safety, education, understanding. It can be any group that says, we. And the we looks outside of the walls and see those poor lepers huddled over there. Oh, they look so poor and pitiful. They need our help. So a missions team or a missionary is sent outside the walls to help them. The group inside the walls has all the good stuff, and the other group is left outside hoping for scraps and mercy. There are a lot of mission programs that run this way. A mission team decides to go and decides what those poor foreigners need, and then the mission team brings it to them. The group inside the wall makes all the decisions, who to send, what to do, and lets the other group know. This understanding is fundamentally us and them. It's fundamentally hierarchical. We know, we understand, they need us. And this understanding is also fundamentally wrong, which is why it's not the CP, Cumberland Presbyterian Understanding of Missions, 
in this Bible story, the people inside the walls are starving and the lepers outside the walls are starving. They're both starving. The group inside the walls is under siege and the lepers outside the walls are under siege. They're both under siege. These two groups are more connected than they are separated. The wall just disguises that fact. They both seriously need some help. Because make no mistake, there's an enemy out there. There's a story my wife preaches about a young girl named Alejandra. You've maybe heard this story. Micah was in Guatemala helping at a school as a tutor and counselor where she met Alejandra. And Alejandra, with a smile too wide for her face and joy too large for her circumstances, she caught my wife's heart. One day she ran into my wife's office. Miss Micah, Miss Micah, I have one quetzal, which is a seventh of a dollar. And my wife said, Alejandra, that's great. Are you going to buy yourself a snack with your one quetzal? Because Alejandra got one meal a day, the meal the school provided. And when she asked, Alejandra's smile dropped to a scowl. And she said, no, Miss Micah, I'm going to buy you a snack. I've wanted to meet this girl for three years. I've wanted to thank her for the way she's impacted my wife's life and my own for how she's displayed the self-sacrificial love of Christ, for how she's fed our spirits with the memory of God's presence for three years. Three weeks ago, I got to visit Guatemala for the first time. We visited that school on Wednesday, July 13th. And when we got there, we discovered that Alejandra had been pulled out of school for good in fourth grade. For what? to sell goods in the market for the rest of her life, to get married far too young. There is an enemy out there, and people in Guatemala are under siege. Drugs, gangs, greed, poverty, materialism, apathy. You can throw a rock and hit it. This spring, we started a Food for Thought program right here. There was one wonderful little boy with a speech impediment, and he was struggling in school. He knew he was struggling, and you could tell he didn't think he was smart. He didn't think he could do it, but he connected with a member of our church from day one. They become friends over those six weeks, and the progress in his speech, his behavior, his confidence, it was miraculous. He won't be rejoining us this year, because his parents, trapped between a rock and a hard place, fostered more children so they could get more money from the government so they could move into a better house. Who will help him at his new school? There is an enemy out there. And people in the United States are under siege. The same list of drugs, gangs, greed, poverty, materialism, and apathy are right here. You can throw a rock and hit it. We're all under siege from the same enemy. Sin, death, destruction, our impulse... Our impulse is to hide behind walls, to build them as high as we have to. Walls where inside there is a we, and we can control what's going on. We can keep them and that out. Walls of a family, walls of a political party, walls of a church where there's a safe we inside. But what the CP Church recognizes is that churches in the United States can hide behind their walls. And meanwhile, there are churches in Guatemala hiding behind their walls and churches in Colombia hiding behind walls and the Presbyterians hide behind their walls and say, at least we're not Baptists. And the Baptists are hiding behind their walls saying, 
at least we're not Presbyterians. And what you end up with is the body of Christ cut into little pieces, each flying their own flags and pitying people who are outside the walls. But hear this. God is working outside the walls. Which is why our understanding of missions is that those lepers, those outcasts and needy, the mission field, remind us that what we need isn't walls. What we need is God. And those in need call us again to radical faith, to leave behind the walls we hide behind and stand face to face with whatever army is opposing the people of God. What we need isn't walls, it's God. And God is not standing idly by. And God is not waiting behind our walls. He's working outside them. So the CP Church works to see where God is calling us to go. Teresa Johnson kept a devotional journal while we were in Guatemala, and I'd like to read a snippet of it for you. The first part is a picture of Guatemala City. Nestled amidst the jungle of concrete and metal houses, armed guards, door and window bars, gates, cobblestone streets surrounded by concrete fences topped with barbed wire, is Semilla, an Anabaptist seminary where we stayed for the week. The mountains in the distance boast a live, sometimes smoking volcano. Outside the tall concrete walls, there is a constant reminder of the poverty in Guatemala. Behind the gated walls is a seminary with a beautiful courtyard. Ivy-lined walls with avocado trees providing shade with the warmth of God's light filtering through the leaves. A place where one could easily sit and quietly meditate and communicate with God. Tranquility was abundant. A wonderful retreat where everything is soothing and peaceful. A place to escape and unwind from the daily stresses of life. But we were meant to go beyond those beautiful ivy-clad walls into areas of poverty, great needs, and into the stresses of daily life. First, I'll just say that Teresa can write. and She can borrow our pulpit anytime she wants. But the point of this sermon isn't that you should go to Guatemala, although maybe one day you will have the opportunity. The point is to notice the walls. There's a reason for walls. There's a need for walls because there are things we need to keep out. Not because some people are the wrong kind of people, but because God's love means you have to check some things at the door. Here's why this is so important. The walls we hide behind can keep God out too. In our Bible story, the people in the city... They pity the lepers because the lepers are going to die. But those inside the city are going to die too. They're both starving. As the story continues, the lepers call to the royal palace inside the city gates and they say, Come, the enemy camp has been abandoned and there is a feast. And the people inside, they don't believe them. It's a trick, it's a trap, it's a lie, don't go. They don't believe that God is actually working outside the walls, so they continue safely hiding and starving. Which is crazy, because God has actually driven the enemy army away and is preparing a feast. The story ends with the lepers and those inside the city going together to the abandoned enemy camp and eating and drinking the abundant feast that God has prepared outside the walls. The point of this sermon is not that you should go to Guatemala, but the Guatemala team is a reminder that God is at work outside 
the walls. Outside the walls of the United States, yes, but also of what we might consider safe or proper. God is working among children who get you sick when they kiss you because they can't afford to bathe. You can ask our Guatemala team about that. If you join God in that work, you will hear them whispering, the kids, you'll hear them whispering, come, the enemy camp is abandoned and there is a feast. If you watch it from behind the walls, it's just not the same. Which is why the team works so hard to bring testimonies and pictures and videos back. Our team in Guatemala experienced a feast, so we grabbed as many to-go containers as we could, and we brought back everything we could so you could see and taste it too. But because this whole church sent us to join in what God is doing there, there's only so much you can do. Because the feast is outside the walls. Like Teresa said, we are meant to go beyond those beautiful ivy-clad walls into areas of poverty, great need, and into the stresses, into the stresses of daily life. The feast is outside the walls. I had a seminary professor who talked about this Bible story. He said the most confusing thing about seminary, and seminary is school for pastors, the most confusing thing was that everyone there knew about the feast. They'd heard God calling, I've defeated sin, so come, the enemy camp is abandoned and there's a feast. A feast of God's presence in prayer and reading scripture and acts of service. You join the feast. We say it is the feast. There is no greater feast, no better source of joy, comfort, peace, love, hope, compassion. What perplexed him about seminary is why everyone was standing around studying the feast. Writing about praying, talking about serving, reading about worshiping. Learning about the feast, studying the feast, analyzing the different components and how they work together. But so few people were actually feasting, actually eating, actually praying, reading scripture, serving, worshiping from their hearts. The professor would say it isn't just confusing. He would say it's tragic. People standing around studying a feast without actually digging in. It's like they were saying, yes, I hear God saying the enemy camp is abandoned and there is a feast. I'm now studying the relationship of the appetizer to the main course. And he would say to them, you want to feel more alive, more in tune with God. You want your faith life to grow. Stop studying the feast and start eating it. Pray, read this Bible, worship God, serve your neighbor. Our Guatemala team came back with this testimony about what God is doing there. Many want to return because they encountered a feast. But listen, you don't have to go that far. I'd love to go back to Guatemala because I agree, but you don't have to go that far. You just have to look for where God is laying a table. Then you have to go and eat. I want to finish today in a way that may seem strange, but it's important. There are a lot of people in our church and a lot of churches who have been burned by their denominational background. We've heard it. You showed up to something claiming to be a feast and had a spoonful of a sermon that was 90% condemnation, 10% Jesus, and 100% guilt. So you took that sermon and you spit it out. Never doing that again. There was something claiming to be a feast. You took a bite and it was so bland and boring that you weren't sure why is everyone else sitting at this table eating so you built a wall and said i'm never going back to that again sometimes we'd rather go to guatemala for a feast than go down the street 
It's easier to love people when you haven't seen their dirty laundry. Sometimes that's even true in our own church. But listen, there are real reasons we're Cumberland Presbyterian because there are disagreements we think are important, but we know that God is setting up feasts at liturgical services with incense and chanting, as well as revivals and 24-hour prayer vigils, service projects and Sunday school classes, tutoring programs and potlucks, which is why we're not afraid of Episcopalians or Baptists or Methodists or AME, Pentecostals or any other Christian. Our disagreements are all in-house. There are enough enemies out there, real enemies doing real harm that we don't have to make our own. And our need for God is great enough, our need for his help and sustenance that we're watching for whatever God is doing and whoever and wherever they're doing it, whether it leads us to Guatemala or Hollywood, Alabama or to your dining room table coming soon. In our story for today, there are three groups of people. The enemy, and there are plenty. Then there are people inside the walls safely starving, which is just dying slowly. And there are people outside the walls with nothing to do but hope God will provide. God did provide. God still does. He's calling us, us outside the walls, outside to stand alongside brothers and sisters who are staring down terrible enemies. Not to become them, but to stand alongside them because they are calling. Come, the enemy camp has been abandoned and there is a feast. So come, the enemy camp has been abandoned and there is a feast. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we confess the ways that we seek to hide, hide from our neighbor and hide from you. We ask that you would give us eyes to see the feasts you are preparing outside the walls and give us the courage, the courage to step out and eat at them. Thank you for your many blessings, for your spirit out upon us that we might be filled with those blessings again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.